Good evening, everyone. I hope you've had a good start to our Lenten season. My friends, all three readings, um, in essence, are concerned with faithfulness to God. The first reading describes the ceremony of the offering of, to God of the first fruits of the harvest in thanksgiving for all that God has done, all that God would do. In there, we also heard what we would understand as a creed. And, uh, and this was uh, offered and recited, and it is a summary of Israel's early history and its origins. Our second reading contains, in its simplest form, our Christian credo. And during the Lenten season, we will move from the Nicene Creed to the Apostles' Creed, so that will be in your worship aid. And we do that out of tradition. The Apostles' Creed is the eldest. Uh, and my friends, but uh, in our second reading, this is what we hear. And it puts forth Jesus is Lord. He died for our sins and was raised up for our justification. For this faith to be genuine, St. Paul would say, it must be professed not just with one's lips, but also with, within one's heart. And that is translated as what is in your heart, you will live. So not only by word alone, but by your very life will you profess this. And the gospel shows Jesus' faithfulness to God the Father. And that his will and the Father's will alone is what matters. And that uh, he would uh, expect that from all of his disciples. He certainly expected it of all of Israel. My friends, we... Our Lent uh, first Sunday begins then with the account of Jesus and the temptations in the wilderness. And the temptations were directed to Jesus' human nature. Remember, Jesus is fully divine and fully human. So the temptations are directed to Jesus, it's hard for us to understand, to his human nature. Meaning they were real. Because some people, well, you know, he's the son of God, those didn't count. People will say anything to be justified in their own actions. No, uh, uh, really count. Because then they would say, well, maybe this didn't really, maybe that didn't hurt because he was God. Oh, that hurt. <laughs> because it was directed at his human nature. Temptation is something that uh, all of us can easily relate to. And we know, uh, I know you know this, temptation comes in many forms. And uh, first, let me tell you, temptation is not sin because our Lord is without sin. So if he had temptation and the temptation was sinful, then that is not a true statement. How you respond to the temptation, that can be a sinful thing or it could be a victorious thing. But temptations come uh, in many forms and some temptations are very powerful and typically, we would see, uh, people would understand these very powerful ones, they are usually surrounded or steeped around money, or uh, around power, or around the physical realm. Please don't make fathers say the word. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Physical things. Others, because <laughs> I will turn red, believe it or not. <laughs> Others, however, present themselves deceptively subtle in their form. 
Satan tempts Jesus with seemingly good things. When you go back and you really study what Satan is doing, he puts forth, I'm going to put it in a way, isn't it good to eat when you are hungry? Use your power. And he was appealing to the nature of Jesus, his human nature, uh, for um, the need for food. Then he would do another temptation. It is good to have authority and power to bring about change. If you are the son of God, yes? And here Satan makes an appeal to Jesus' human nature because humans have a desire um, for power and a desire for authority. He would put forth in the other temptation, it is good to be protected against danger. Throw yourself over and see. But this was a temptation or he was trying to get at the human nature of Jesus where humans um, like uh, to have, uh, well, spectacular things, if you will. And, and in doing so, it would stimulate excessiveness uh, around pride and conceit. And for Jesus of Nazareth to accept these good things the way Satan was going about it would mean that he would have to give up his allegiance and his dependence to God, the Father. But he refuses. He refuses to test or abuse his relationship with his Father. Ultimately, Satan, what he wants is for Jesus not to complete the mission that was given. Ultimately, what he wants to disrupt with you is for you not to complete the mission that has been given to you. Now, my friends, having said this, our culture, lots of nice things about it. Oh, but my goodness, does it give us Christians a hard time. These subtle temptations are part of our cultural surroundings and they plague us just as much as a head cold and a flu. And you can catch them pretty easily because they are put forth through very catchy slogans. They are put forth through songs. They are put forth through very clever advertisements. And they don't have to be all that spectacular. They just have to be catchy. These are the subtle temptations that diminish or attempt to diminish our fidelity to Christ. They appear, and I quote, such as phrases like this, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? You laugh because you know it. You know the slogan. That is a wicked justification that can be pursued by a murderer or by criminals of all sort. And, and this one's older, but you'll remember it. It's sinfully delicious. Have one. Or, it's just a little sinful. 
or the ever-enduring one. It's only a white lie. Oh, my mercy, I can't tell you. I hear it every week in the confessional. It's only a white lie. They come through songs in the lyrics, like my sister had to tell me this one. Whether I am wrong or whether I am right, I got to be me. Laugh if you want, but I guarantee your children know what that song is. And they can sing it back to you every word. Or, here's the one that really irks me of late. I have to speak my truth. Let them speak their truth. The world's most vicious dictators could say the same thing. Friends, the truth is the best way of being is to be steeped in what is true and morally right. That is the person that God created us to be. Temptations always present with a plausible surface. For example, I know you're going to laugh. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That one runs all the time. I especially know because, you know, I have insomnia and I'm up in the middle of the night. And I can't even tell you the type of advertisements that you don't even want to know what you can see now. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Does it really? Would marriage, infidelity, and those actions that separate us from Christ remain only in that place that they occurred? Or do they not accompany you wherever you go? Phrases such as, I'm looking out for numero uno. Remember that one? That really disguises contempt for other people and for the community, which are essential to the life that we were designed to share in with others. My friends of today, dishonesty can disguise itself and be excused away. Well, that is a very sharp business practice. I know, I was in the corporate world. I was spoon-fed that. Dishonesty is absolutely necessary in politics. You've heard that one? <laughs> That's the only way to get things done. This one's more difficult for me. I had to, my friend was telling me about this one. Marital infidelity has a new type of label to justify it. Polyamorous? an open marriage because I am polyamorous. And that will be one of the wicked tools of psychology. Folks will even pass off wicked gossip as I'm simply being concerned for the person. And I don't even have time to go into what some folks label as righteous indignation. My friends, we are to resist such temptations. And you have already been given the remedy for this flu. <laughs> Almsgiving. 
fasting, prayer. Fasting helps to teach us self-control. Fasting and abstinence can teach us a great deal about ourselves, and it can make us strong. Prayer is one of the practices we all agree we should do and often, but we often make many excuses why we're not attending to it. Many folks are good at prayer in what I call triage moments, but not as a life of conversation and communion with our Lord. And yet prayer is the conduit to God. What life of faith is absent of prayer? Almsgiving, the practice of giving God our first fruits and not our leftovers and not what's left at the end of the month. The practice of sharing our prosperity and our blessings with others is a tangible and measurable thing of our commitment to Christ and his people and his church. Friends, I once heard a motivational speaker on late night television say, it was funny, and I shouldn't laugh, but it was funny because it was Protestants. <laughs> I was watching a Protestant station. And you know, they had that gospel of prosperity they preached. So they, he said, the checks one writes tells the real story of the Christian's priorities. I laughed because I thought, oh, I'll never be able to say that from the ambo. <laughs> now I've learned not to say never. <laughs> Friends, temptations in our life are big and small, and they will not go away. They will be with us for the rest of our lives, just as apparently, doctor, the flu and the head cold. What's up with medicine? Can they get rid of the, the head cold? It's really a miserable thing, Dr. Dr. Patterson's over here. Yeah, I'll free it up. <laughs> Temptations will be with us just as the head cold will be forever. And Temptations, just as the flu does, change and mutates often. We do, however, have the spiritual remedy again, fasting, prayer, almsgiving. We need to keep these spiritual remedies around always. Lent is our time when we focus intently. We should be doing this always, but during Lent we focus. And it helps us to open our eyes to the truth of our lives and if you will, to begin to take the necessary corrective measures to restore our spiritual selves, to walk more in holiness. Huh? We need to take care of our soul because be absolutely assured that our society will certainly not do it for you. And I just gave you some clear examples, and you all laugh because you know it. Very clever advertisements, very clever slogans. But my friends, take to heart all who struggles, struggles to live a holy life. Resisting temptation was never easy, and they plagued Jesus while he walked in the flesh in this world. We heard it at the end. He tempted Jesus, and then he went away for a time. Because he came back many times, but we know 
of two other great events, even up into and on the cross, Satan tempted him. My friends, Jesus showed us how to resist and to move through temptation without sinning. In Jesus, we have a Lord who knows what we're up against because he did the same thing. He was truly tempted. He gives us his grace. He forgives us, and he raises us up when we fall. He enables us to obey God's will, to trust God, and shows us how to worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and then to worship God and God alone. My friends, each of us experiences temptations, and that should not give us, if you will, cause uh, to be stressed out or to be in despair, because I hear that all the time. Father, I'm so bad because of all the temptations. You're not bad because of temptations. <laughs> if you say that, then that means Jesus was bad. So we shouldn't be in despair or have undue stress. Even our Lord was subjected to temptations, but he gave us the example of how to conquer, how to conquer the temptations, following the example of Christ in all his ways. You too and I will be able to say what Jesus says, be gone, Satan. That would be the good slogan. Be gone, Satan. I'd love to see a commercial that says that. <laughs> My friends, having said that, what was the power that Jesus of Nazareth had in fighting these temptations? Because, as you see, Satan was clever. He said, if you are... If you are the Son of God, do this. Jesus had the power and the knowledge of Holy Scripture, and he was secure in his relationship with God the Father, that he was his only begotten Son. This is how he did it. We must do the same. This is why it has become so crucial for me. I preach a long time and I try and teach you these scriptures so that you will have that power and that knowledge. And that you would be assured in your relationship with the Father. In this, you will have victory. You will have victory. And you won't have to be so stressed out. And you certainly won't have to come into the confessional telling the priest that you are bad and wicked. Not, it's difficult for the priest to hear that because he knows already who you are in Christ. And he needs to get that through to you because that is power. That is the way you keep away. St. Augustine had something else. He said, because of Jesus Christ, Satan is like a dog on a chain, <laughs> restricted. 
But he said, if you go into the dog's territory, he will bite you. <laughs> so run away. <laughs> Do not go into that territory. Or in another old slogan, remember, don't play with fire. You will get burned. I'm getting emotional, so I'll stop. My friends, you know if I make an error, I will correct it. And um, a couple months ago, I made a comment, a statement about uh, our members receiving the Holy Eucharist twice in a day. And uh, the canon law that I was interpreting is known as 921 Article 2. And the way my professors at my seminary taught me was that you could not. And this came up again on Ash Wednesday. And initially I told the two people no. But then I went quickly on my phone, looked it up, and thought, I'm not sure if I'm understanding it properly. So I sent it to the canon lawyers of the archbishop here. And I'm going to read the email to you. Dear Father Mark, Thank you for your question about reception of the Eucharist in accord with Canon 917. The generally accepted understanding in this canon is that the faithful are permitted to receive communion twice a day. Canon 921, Article 2, which is referenced, allows for the reception of viaticum, even if one has already received communion on the same day. The change to... Uh, the 1917 code was meant to encourage full participation at mass and should be seen in a positive light. The fact that there is even a canon limiting reception to twice a day is to protect against superstition and the habit of going from church to church simply for the purpose of receiving communion as some used to do in centuries past. I hope you find this useful. Father Tony Bowen, our canon lawyer. So now I have corrected my statement for you. This is what a good pastor does. He admits his error, goes and finds what the truth is, because in it is power.